You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing knew where he was going right away. How the hell is that there, man? What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the great Ted Wynn joins us to break down Dolphins and Raiders from Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Plus, we'll hear from the assistant coaches. We'll pick the Week 11 games and a whole lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. You know how we start. Let's go ahead and get to my guest today. Joining me today on the Drive Time Podcast is the great Ted Wynn, a staff writer at The Athletic, but to me, he's more of a modern-day Dr. Z. Go find his analysis both at The Athletic, but also on Twitter, at FB underscore film analysis. I know you nabbed that handle back in like 2011, right, Ted? Yeah, I did, actually. I I was uh, originally Raiders analysis, but I since moved on to become an NFL staff writer, so I couldn't stay with that, uh, that handle anymore. And I appreciate the uh, the the callback to Doctor Z. That was a uh, he was my favorite football writer growing up. Oh, he was the best man! Like just the the storytelling that paired with actual football analysis, I think is probably still unrivaled to this day. So yeah, that's uh, high praise, and that that was intentional for you, Ted. I, I love your work, man. You do good stuff. Um, so you kind of mentioned something there that I, I'm curious about because I take a you know a great liking to the, the league in general. Obviously, my job is Miami Dolphins, but um, I've, I've always been curious about, you know, someone that covers the, the league from that standpoint. But you obviously have, you know, a little bit more of a, I guess, centered focus on the Raiders because you've just known them for so long. I'm curious how you balance those two things in terms of covering the league, but also just having such a, you know, a, an in-depth insight to the Raiders. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I covered them for a long time. I've been, you know, watching them my whole life, um, and but I still, I still remain pretty objective. If anything, I'm more hard harder on the Raiders than I have other teams. Uh, but I, you know, I'm still doing a podcast about the Raiders um, with the Athletics, so I still have to have um, a little bit. I, I wouldn't say I focus more on them, but on Sunday, you know. I, yeah, that's definitely one of the games that are in my rotation because I have to do the uh, the podcast and, and know what's going on with them. Um, but I mean, you know, I try to watch every rewatch every game um, and um, I don't think it's too difficult to you know focus on a league, but still have a little bit a little bit more focus on the Raiders. Yeah, it makes sense. There was I was uh, doing a quarterback website before I got to the Dolphins, and was also doing my Dolphins podcast that was before here. And it, I, just, I always found one side pulled me a little bit away from the other, and it was I enjoyed it, but there was definitely something I had to figure out in terms of how to make that uh, you know more sustainable on both sides. But you do a great job with it. Enough about all that stuff here. Let's go ahead and start with Dolphins and Raiders Sunday here at Hard Rock Stadium. And I always start my podcast with the cross town or, or I guess the opposition's uh, reporter, analyst, you know, beat writer with the quarterback position. But I think it's time today to deviate from that plan 
And maybe this is too much of a blanket question, but I trust you over anyone to provide some insight here. What's been the biggest change going from Josh McDaniels in a three and five start to now Coach Pierce and being two and zero under him? What's the biggest change there from that that coaching change? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds cheesy and cliche, but it, it's just culture, you know. I think with Josh McDaniels, clearly everyone felt like there was a dark cloud hanging over. Um, the facility they couldn't have fun they couldn't be themselves you know every day was just about getting criticized and um, not being able to express yourself and just you know working and quote quote the, the Patriots way uh, but now with Antonio Pierce and now with Josh McDaniels gone I mean it, it was almost comical some of the quotes and some of the things that were coming out after Josh McDaniels was fired I mean you know, guys were like having impromptu wrestling matches in the locker room. Uh, you know, they put a basketball, little mini basketball hoop into the locker room. Uh, you know, I haven't seen Devontae Adams smile in like months. And then he he's in the locker room, you know, laughing it up with his guys, dancing uh, and, and all these things. So it was just a cultural shift. And I, I think players are just at a much better place mentally. And that's the biggest difference. And winning certainly provides that, you know, culture boost as well. The cigars have become quite a popular uh, post-game habit for those guys after those last two victories there. And yeah, it's it's interesting. I did my podcast previewing the game earlier in the week and talking about how this is a roster that kind of was assembled by, you know, now at this point, three different regimes in terms of Gruden, Mayock to McDaniels and now in the post-McDaniels era. So it's tough to cobble together a roster like that, but it sounds like or seems like they've found a way to make it work in the uh, Antonio Pierce era here. Let's go ahead and get to the quarterback position. That's a big spot they made a change at this year after, again, a big contract for Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. What have you seen from Aiden O'Connell and his two starts after some spot duty earlier in the season? I think, he one, he's extremely accurate. I mean, uh, that's the first thing that jumps out. It's just how well he's able to uh, place the ball exactly where he wants to. And, and that's two different skills, accuracy and ball placement. Accuracy is the ability to get the ball where you want and ball placement is knowing where the ball needs to be uh, relative to, you know, where the defenders are in the route. For example, you know, if you're throwing a fade, um, you're not always going to put it right in front of the guy. If your receiver is well covered, then you want to throw it back shoulder. Uh, so that's an example of ball placement. I feel like Aiden O'Connell has a, you know, he's very accurate and he has a strong sense of ball placement. And you saw that on his lone touchdown pass to Michael Mayer against the Jets where he was covered and he put it in the only spot where Mayer could get it and it ended up being a touchdown. And that's another thing that separates O'Connell and Garoppolo is uh, O'Connell's giving his guys a chance. You know, he's taking chances and he he's a little bit more aggressive than Garoppolo. And I think that's uh, one of the major reasons why they decided to make a change is because they just needed a little bit more aggression and some more deep ball ability from their quarterback. He, he played quite a bit of snaps in college, right? O'Connell. He did. He played. He played a lot of snaps. I don't have the exact uh, yeah. numbers in front of me, but um, he, he played a tons of snaps. He's very seasoned, and um, you know, one of the first things that people noticed about him in, in training camp was just how well he handled the operation as far as play calls and and you know the the the, the Patriot system, which are still running now, can get pretty complicated at the line of scrimmage because quarterbacks have so much responsibility. But O'Connell is able to handle that very smoothly. And um, it, it was one of the things that just uh, got people talking a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going for there, because it seems like maybe the ball comes out a little bit hotter or maybe just 
the decision-making happens a little bit faster because it seemed like when Garoppolo was in there, there were so many sacks and O'Connell's taking his share of sacks as well. But just in terms of watching the tape, it seems like things happen a little bit faster with him uh, under center there for the, for the Las Vegas Raiders. And you mentioned that the touchdown pass that Michael Mayer scored uh, in the game against the Jets on Sunday night, which by the way, uh, I think all Dolphins fans were huge Raider fans that night. We always love seeing our, our division rival go down on in prime time. So that was a uh, tip of the cap to the Raiders there, but you know, you, you mentioned Mayer. I mentioned him as well there. Um, this offense, like it features a lot of weapons. I, I think that gets overlooked across the league a lot from this, you know, non Raiders perspective, but what have you seen in terms of how, you know, this offense is operating at its best when they have Devonte Adams and Jacoby Myers and Josh Jacobs and Michael Mayer. Like that's a, that's a really good list of eligibles. What does this offense do that makes that group function at its finest? Yeah. I mean, I would argue that, you know, th- we haven't seen them really function at their finest yet. I mean, they had a long streak where they couldn't even score uh, 20 points and they couldn't co- score 20 points against the jets uh, this week, but I thought it was a pretty solid offensive performance considering um, the jets might have the best defense uh, in the NFL, but uh, I, I think they're still trying to figure out how to best utilize everyone. Uh, Devontae Adams, obviously, is getting a lot of double teams, a lot of attention, and, but that doesn't mean you could just ignore your number one target, and they're kind of figuring out different ways of getting him the ball, uh, but there's just too many stretches where he he disappears for too long, and he he's just too good of a player not to try to figure out uh, a, a way to get him the ball, and, and, you know, one of the ways you can get him the ball is by throwing it throwing to him deep. The only way to beat double coverage is going deep. I mean, you guys see that with Tyreek Hill all the time. You know, if he's getting doubled, you got to run past that second safety or that second bracket defender. You can't do it short. So that's that's another reason why O'Connell is an upgrade over Garoppolo. Is he, you know, he has the arm and, and deep accuracy to be able to take advantage of some of those things. And hopefully we see more of that. Um, Jacoby Myers has been really good at taking advantage of one-on-one matchups away from Adams. Um, and Mayer is kind of finding his role within the offense. Um, you know, it, for rookie tight ends, is always tough. It is it's a very tough position mm-hmm. to learn it, and come in and be productive in your first year. But we're seeing flashes of him um, making plays here and there. And, and Hunter Renfro is kind of making his way back into the offense after uh, kind of getting blackballed by uh, Josh McDaniel. I was watching JT O'Sullivan's last Aiden O'Connell breakdown, and he was saying December 13 guys knew I'm not I'm not familiar with 13's game. It's like, yeah, he's, he was there before <laughs> catching a bunch of passes in the previous regime, but he kind of got put in the doghouse uh, recently, or I should say before recently with the coaching change now. So it's good to see Renfro going back again. One more question on the offense here, Ted, because, you know, Colton Miller didn't play in the game against the Jets on Sunday. And I, just looking at the raw numbers and, and the tape as well, he's clearly the best uh, offensive lineman on that team. Do you think he plays in the game on Sunday? I know it's early in the week here. Do you think he plays? And what's the impact of having him versus not having him for the Raiders offensive line? Um, my guess is he will play. I mean, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't been at practices or I haven't talked to my uh, podcast hosts who are on the beat every day. Uh, but just based on his uh, reputation and what he's done in the past, as far as uh, playing hurt and coming, you know, getting playing so many games and, um, just being tough, you know, I, I think he's going to make his best effort too. I think he was close last week, but just couldn't do it. So I, I, my guess is he does play. Uh, this offensive line is a, you know, it's not a bad pass blocking unit, um, but they haven't, they're not a very physical group as far as running the ball. Uh, the physicality comes more, comes more from Josh Jacobs and 
um, and his ability to just run through tackles and just lower his shoulder and, and get yards after contact. But um, so far, this group just isn't really able to move people off the ball. But um, since Pierce has taken over, they, they've really ma- made a commitment to running the ball and and trying to wear out defenses and, and, and pop some runs like they did um, against Jets, where you know they, they weren't very efficient throughout the day, but later in the game they popped a few critical runs. You think that's a plan that can work against an offense that has as much explosiveness as the Miami Dolphins? Because like obviously the Jets, they want to play the game the same way, right? They want to put you in the mud and make it, you know, a 16-20 ugly kind of defensive game. Do you think that can translate here against an offense that typically scores in the 30s? No, I, I think you have to be a lot more aggressive. Um, I mean, unless you're getting stops, which I think yeah. will be extremely difficult against the Dolphins and you you, you want to shorten the game. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's going to be hard getting stops against the Dolphins. And I think you have to be more aggressive and, and use Josh Jacobs in, in a different way, you know, maybe find some ways to get him um, some screens or or use him as the receiver and, and have him punish the defense that way, but just trying to run up the middle um, against the Dolphins run defense that I think is improving. I thought they had a pretty good game against um, the Chiefs. Um, it, I don't think that's going to be a winning business model. Yeah, they've it's after that first game or so they they kind of had some leaks against the Chargers, but it's been a lot better since then. So trending up in that direction, I think the new scheme is kind of starting to stitch uh, it seems together a little bit here under Vic Fangio. Ted Wynn here from the Athletic, my guest, breaking down Dolphins and Raiders on Sunday from Hard Rock Stadium. We talked about the offense. Let's go ahead and go to the other side of the football here, and you'd be crazy to start anywhere else besides one of the best damn players in the entire league. You know, Crosby gets so much attention in terms of doubles and chips and just guys getting in his way yet here he is on the cusp of another double digit sack season nine and a half it's crazy how productive he is like I guess my question is simple how does he do it because when I watch them on tape I see you know a lot of power people movers that you know really operate Patrick Graham's game heavy scheme to create these chances for Max like is that what you see why is he so productive even though he gets as much attention as the Micah Parsons and the Miles Garrett's of the world uh, one, he has, you know, freaky movement skills as far as burst and change of directions and just so good with his hands. I mean, he's like, you know, if you just watch him and you watch how he uses his hands, um, he's like a judo master, you know, he's <laughs> able to use blockers, momentum against him. Like he's, he's just tossing, you know, 300 pound lineman out the way, not with power. It's just, you know, he just knows how to just move his body and, and get them to move one way and, and throw them in a different direction. Um, and, and tight ends are just no match for him. But I, I think the one thing with him is he's just so relentless. And, um, you know, when you watch him at practice, you watch him in training camp, every single rep, he's going 110%. And it shows up on game day. You know, he plays 100% of the snaps. He doesn't take any snaps off. And then, you, you know, you, you saw late in the game against, late in every game, you know, he's making plays uh, in those on those last drives despite not taking a break. So, um, he's relentless. He works extremely hard every single day. Um, his, you know, his stamina, he might be the best conditioned defensive player in the league. 98% snaps, right? Like that's, that's crazy, man. There's not many guys that mm-hmm. can do that at that position. Like I always get hyped up when I see Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer play on like 85%, but man, 98, when you're, you know, it's a full sprint every 30 seconds or so is, 
is is a lot, and he's he's impressive, man. It's fun to watch him play. Hopefully, not too much against the Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and finish up here. Two more questions. This one in the secondary, because you know Brandon Faison's been down for a while. I can't imagine a Meek Robertson plays after that scene on Sunday night. Hopefully, he's okay and doing better. Uh, Jack Jones just got there. How do you think this Raiders secondary will handle the Dolphins' speed and the weapons they have on the perimeter with you know what relatively looks like a pretty inexperienced group right now with you know the aforementioned Jones and Jacorian Bennett, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, it's going to be a problem. Um, Nate Hobbs, I feel like, is a very underrated nickel corner, um, and he's going to be good in the slot. Um, but as far as outside corners go, you have Marcus Peters, who, um, you know, Marcus Peters is Marcus Peters. He He's not the fastest corner. He's not great as a pure coverage guy, but he, he's very intelligent. He knows how to bait quarterbacks into uh you know into batted passes and interceptions but he just doesn't have that speed to hang with uh, the fast receivers and he's going to be going against two of the fastest in Waddle and Hill and on, on the other side you have Jacorian Bennett who will probably be filling in for Amik Robertson and um, Bennett is an elite athlete but you know he has a long ways to go as far as um, honing in on his technique and and reads and things like that uh, so you know, it, the outside corner is going to be a problem. And um, I think they're going to have to keep two safeties deep a lot in this game, if not the entire game. Uh, the safeties for the Raiders have been playing pretty well. Epps from the Eagles and uh, Trayvon Morig, who was a second round pick a few years ago, is having a career type of year. Um, but it's going to be a problem that they can't help in the run because uh, the Raiders front um, has been pretty soft against the run. Yeah, it's and with Devon Achan back, maybe the Dolphins can get a little bit more of their, you know, balance they had on offense, you know, prior to his injury with how they were cooking those few games that he was up and going. Uh, Ted, your, your demeanor and kind of the answers of the questions sort of answered this final question for me already, but I'm going to pose it because I do it every single week when I uh, interview a you know, reporter analyst from the other sideline. The Raiders win this game if, and then you fill in the blank. The Raiders win this game if Max Crosby um sacks Tua five times and <laughs> is completely unblockable and is able to get to the quarterback in less than 2.5 seconds uh consists on a consistent basis um and they somehow find a way to run for a, over 150 yards that's a tall order tall order my yeah. friend <laughs> dead win the athletic man we always learn something talking to you i appreciate your time and i want to promote some of your work here so i have i'm, I'm very long-winded with these i kind of follow mike mcdaniel's lead on this uh, uh, three ways I want to pose this. Number one, tell us the name of your podcast. I, I didn't check the name of your Raiders podcast. <laughs> Two, what is uh, something Dolphins-centric you've worked on this year? Because I know you're doing some film stuff and the Dolphins have to be in there, I imagine. And then three, what are you working on coming up that you're excited about? All right, so my Raiders podcast is called State of the Nation, and that's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you want to find your podcast. And yeah, it, um, I wrote an article last week actually about of the Miami Dolphins and how they can kind of get over the hump and beat these um, teams with winning records, which they had have had trouble doing. You know, I talked about some of the things like just being able to get down to the, find the checkdowns a little bit quicker um, and, and some improvements they can make in, in the run game. Um, I talked about how I thought Vic Fangio's defense is starting to finally look like a Fangio defense. Um, I thought they did some really good things against the Chiefs. Obviously, getting um, that defensive back group healthy and together is a huge deal. Uh, so, yeah, check that out on The Athletic. Good stuff, man. Appreciate your time today, Ted. Enjoy the game on Sunday. No problem. You too.
And there he goes, Ted Wynn, really fun conversation there ahead of Sunday's game against the Raiders. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here, come back on the other side. I want to talk a little bit about Tua Tungavailoa's leadership. We'll also hear from the assistant coaches. That's all next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Second segment here on a Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Big game tonight between Baltimore and Cincinnati. Want the Bengals to win that game, give the Dolphins a chance to uh, make some ground up in the race among the divisional leaders in terms of seeding for the AFC playoffs coming up here in just two months, man. It's coming up fast. Quicker than that, actually. What, eight weeks away? Seven weeks away? Either way, I digress. Um, But yeah, you want the Bengals to win that game tonight. We'll pick the games here on the third segment, but... Uh, I was playing with some scenarios on the ESPN playoff predictor, which is back up, by the way, Uh, a lot better than the knockoff versions I've found. I've I've been really into that since the Chiefs game because, one, I've been bored that we'd have a game last week, but also just kind of want to see what my potential expectation should be for how not just the Dolphins season can play out from here forward, but how other clubs can. And basically it comes down to this for me is that Miami, I think, is in a a good position to make a run at the one seed. And if you go look at ESPN's football, uh, is it the FPI, the Football Power Index, or maybe the Analytics? I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but they have percentage odds for each team's chances of finishing at each potential seed in the conference. And Miami's playoff odds are like 99%. And a lot of that is because of where we stand with our upcoming schedule, where the Bills stand and their upcoming schedule. It's pretty much not I don't want to say a guarantee because that's not true but in terms of the numbers and the analytics and the models they believe it's a shoe-in that the Dolphins win the AFC East and their number one seed potential is like 19 percent which is there's one of three teams that have any percentage hope of that one seed right now the two seed was like 29 percent and then the three seed was like 15 percent so basically the Dolphins according to thousands and thousands of simulations should obtain one of the top three seeds. And you guys know the one seed is the most important one because you get a week off, right? And if the Dolphins team can get a a week off and then come back for a home game against the lowest remaining seed in the AFC, gosh, I like our chances at that point to qualify for the AFC championship game or essentially the same thing with the two seed where you would then host, you know, uh, the highest remaining seed in the AFC if you win your two versus seven game. And I was just thinking about this, the possibility of maybe like Jacksonville getting the three seed. I'm trying to think about the, the best matchups for wild card versus divisional round weekend. Obviously, the one seed is, is the ideal thing because all of a sudden you get one upset. You get one, you know, Steelers team that picks off somebody they shouldn't have. And you're playing in the AFC divisional round against like Kenny Pickett, right? That would be pretty nice. Um, not likely, but it's a possibility. And so just kind of playing around with that, like there are different avenues where you could potentially see a scenario <clears throat> where Miami like faces, you know, 
Cleveland with P.J. Walker, Dorian Thompson, Robinson in the first round. And then based upon how things play out from there, maybe you wind up getting Houston or Jacksonville in that second round. Like there's a, a world, I'm trying to say, that exists where you kind of have an Eagles-like schedule in last year's playoffs. It, there's a possibility of that happening. Long way down the road, take care of business, win your football games and put yourself in position. And I, I've talked about it for weeks now. 11-3 and three was always the minimum going into Christmas Eve to me, and that's still where we're at right now. So just some interesting stuff there I thought was worth talking about. It's it, it, The rest of these next eight weeks are going to be so fun because you're going to have Dolphins games to keep track of, but there's so many critical AFC matchups among the teams who exist near the top of the standings uh, currently and that should be there going forward you know, into Thanksgiving and into December and into January. Um and a lot of those games are in prime time too, so it should be a lot of fun for us to, you know, as Dolphins fans, to get a chance to really, you know, immerse ourselves in the National Football League. So I don't, if you're like me, like I love watching NFL games and football games, but it's so much better when the Dolphins are good and you have a vested interest in games. The Buffalo Denver game, I was living and dying with that game, man. That was like heart rate, like standing up. Like, that was fun. It was fun to watch that. I, I really enjoyed watching a team that we needed to lose lose that game. And so uh, just I think that's how the next eight weeks are going to go for Dolphins fans. Like Enjoy it, embrace it, and really try to soak in this year. Let's talk a little bit here about Tua Tungabailoa's leadership because Barry Jackson posted a great story uh, on the Miami Herald earlier today, I think it was. Maybe it was on um, Wednesday night. I'm not sure. But it goes back to the snap in, in Germany, right? The failed snap. And Tua, you know, the minute something the, – the minute he takes to the podium for a press conference after a game, he – always assigns the blame of whatever the biggest fault of the game was to himself, like a leader would, right? And then Connor Williams came out and mentioned that the snap was obviously bad. It was my fault, right? Like, I, that was a bad snap. You can tell clearly it's off of his frame. And so Barry went around and asked some folks in the locker room about why that is important for the quarterback to do that. And so Austin Jackson, who was drafted the same year as Tua, you know, 17 – or no, uh, 13 picks after Tua was – was asked about it, and Jackson said this, Tua has never once pointed the finger at anyone. He's very respectful. And then Duke Riley uh, popped up and, and had this to say, I know one thing, he will never say anything is anyone's fault. It's always his fault. Everything is always uplifting with Tua, uplifting with positivity and always reflecting how much he needs to improve. He's a great person to have on your team. Anyone would do anything for Tua. Everyone loves him. He spends his time with everyone on the team. Everyone on the team has, to, has been to his house. I love the guy, his family, everything about him. He's someone you want your kids to be like. I mean, oh, man. Like, we debate this guy. I, I don't. You guys know how I feel about the quarterback. There's debates about this guy that, <laughs> like, what are we doing, man? Like, the kind of guy that you want your daughter to marry, right? And he's like an MVP candidate, and he has the Dolphins in the best position. They, like, I keep seeing these arguments about, like, well, I don't know, they beat, they beat the Jets, or, oh, they, they're 5-5. Five and five. It's like, use your eyes. Just use your damn eyes and tell me the Dolphins are not superior to 90% of the teams in the NFL right now, like vastly superior just based on the eye test. Your quarterback is the primary reason for that, okay? That's all it comes down to. Your quarterback is awesome. He's 25 years old. He's probably going to get a massive extension here any day now, not any day now, but in the you know coming future. Uh, he's that character. He's that kind of leader. I mean, I just don't get it. Maybe, I don't know. I get. I know it's like confirming priors and stuff, but like, what are we doing? Like this, we've been waiting for thirty years for this guy. That's that's the point. 
Let's pivot off that and hear from the assistant coaches. And I want to get a little bit of crowdsourcing production here on the podcast. I want to know what you guys think about the sound bites on the show. Do you like hearing more of coach and players and the assistants? Do you want to hear less? Is it right on par with what you want to hear? Just let me know in the comments. I'm going to do three sound bites here. Highlights, one each from Vic Fangio, Frank Smith, and Butch Berry. Let's go ahead and start here with Butch Berry, who had the whole room laughing when he was talking a little bit about offensive line play and the importance in his belief <clears throat> of playing multiple sports to get those different body movements down. So I asked coach because that's like right up my alley. I, I love hearing about that. And if my kids want to get into sports when they get old enough, I'm going to tell them your best bet forward is to play as many sports as possible because those natural movements that come with different sports will benefit you the most in the long run. So I asked coach, what sport do you think lends itself the most carryover for offensive line footwork? And he gave us this gem. People have always said wrestling because of the balance. I think I think you could take application. I think you can take application from both. Then there's a lot of people who say pass protection and how you play defensive basketball would have application in terms of how you're trying to move your feet, leverage to the hoop, and the and the guy with the ball because that's pass protection. So there's a lot of things you can take from every sport. In hockey, I know the movement would be different, but understanding how to leverage and have spatial awareness. like So every sport, there's application you can take and move it to offensive line or move it to any sport, really. I mean, started learning how to try, try to play tennis, getting my ass kicked by my wife, but you know. <laughs> but anyways. Good job of my man JT there, giving us clean audio to make it a kid-friendly show here on the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go next to Coach Frank Smith, who was asked about the challenges of the looks you get from a defense on a given Sunday. I always love this stuff because you spend the whole week game planning for what you expect you might get. And then if somebody throws a curveball that you haven't prepared for, which that's you know part of the, the deal of coaching, right? But how you adjust to stuff that you didn't see on tape, it's so fascinating to me. So here's Coach talking about the challenges of what you expect to see on tape versus the unknown that teams could throw at you any given week. Each week it kind of goes, there's, it's along those lines. I mean, each week it's kind of, uh, you assess um, uh, your opponent, uh, yourselves, where you're at, you know, your anticipated uh, guys are going to be available for the game. Uh, what's the defense trying to do, right? How can we, you know, use our uh, matchup guys to uh, attack the defense, you know, for the width of it and the length of the field. So I think that each week the checklist is, you know, as we're talking about what we're trying to hit, maybe one works in front of the other, the other's there, but ultimately it's kind of the same stuff we've been talking about as far as how uh, a lot of times if you don't expand the field, it allows them to compress, and the ability to not compress the, to compress us allows us to create space in the defense, and I think ultimately that's what offense is trying to do and attack the space. And then I want to finish up here to promote some of my own work that we have coming up for you guys. The Tua Tungavailoa video breakdown we did about a month and a half ago did over 20,000 views. Very excited about that number. We have a feature coming up on Bradley Chubb talking about his work in the run game and how he creates chances for his teammates both as a pass rusher and in the run game. So keep an eye out on YouTube for that. I'll promote the hell out of that episode. But I want to go ahead and play Vic Fangio's audio here talking about the impact of Phillips and Chubb. And wouldn't you know it, you love when this happens, confirming my previous hypothesis on Bradley Chubb. Yeah, in Jalen's case, he's just, um, you know, he missed those four games and um, took him a, a game or two to get his, uh, 
timing back, his feel back, and you know, and I think he's playing really good now. And I think Bradley's played good the entire season. You know, everybody gets caught up in numbers at times, and he didn't have X amount of sacks early on, but he's had some here lately. But I think he's been playing good all year. Um, it's good to see for him, happy for him. You know, he had a tough stretch in there in Denver to three years we were together. He was hurt a lot and never could get into a groove. And now I think everybody's seeing the player that he can be. One more break, and then segment number three, the Week 11 NFL Picks. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, yeah. Segment three on a Thursday. You know what time that means. It is time to pick the games for week number 11 in the National Football League. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I uh, went 10 and 6 last week, and I'm glad that I went 10 and 6 because the two losses that really changed the win loss total for your boy came on Sunday night and Monday night football with the Jets and Bills both falling by the wayside. So. We go 10 and 6. We fall to 104 and 48 on the season, which is a little bit under 69%. Nice. So, got to get that back up on the positive side of 70. Let's go ahead and pick the games this week and cue the music right here. Starting tonight in Baltimore, I believe it is. Want the Bengals to win, taking the Ravens, even though they're going to be down. It looks like Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey could be down as well. I'm missing somebody else, too, and I forget who it is. But either way, the Bengals also don't have T. Higgins. Trey Hendrickson will play despite that nasty-looking injury he took on Sunday. But big game in the AFC North. I think these teams in this division eventually will cannibalize themselves. I think that's why Miami finishes above the AFC North champion in the seeding at the end of the year. And Cincinnati winning this game tonight would help go in that direction. The Browns... Ah, oh man. I'm taking the Browns over the Steelers. I don't think they won games because of their offense before and their quarterback wasn't that good. And I think that they can make a game plan for DTR to beat what I believe is still a very bad Steelers team. Dolphins over Raiders. You guys know about that. The Lions over the Bears. Duh. Jags over the Titans. I Titans, like they have a rough, a rough road ahead and I don't really believe in their offense right now. So scoring six and 13 points a game is just not going to do it for you. Give me Jacksonville and that one to bounce back. Give me the Chargers over the Packers. I was big on the Packers this offseason, but it just hasn't worked out that well. The offense looks really, really mundane. Houston over Arizona. Want to take the Cardinals here. I think that Kyler Murray is going to get the Cardinals out of the top three picks in the draft, which I, depending how you look at it, I guess, I don't know, is a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it's nice to have a good quarterback back in the league because we don't have enough of those right now. Give me Dallas over Carolina. Washington over the Giants. I'm not going to pick the Giants the rest of the year. The Panthers, maybe not either. We'll see. This, the Niners over the Bucks. Buffalo over the Jets. And look, like, this is a game where the, the Bills are, like, vastly superior, but they always... This is like the old Patriots and Dolphins rivalry. 
Like, the Jets are never good, but they always beat the top team in the division somehow. Uh, they already got the win at home. I don't think they get it this week in Orchard Park. I think Buffalo bounces back in a big way this week over the Jets. Give me the Rams over the Seahawks for the season sweep with Matthew Stafford coming back. I like Seattle, but they, they play a lot of bad football, man. So I think this is the week where they kind of, the Rams always get them. So they'll get them again here for a sweep. The Vikings over the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. And then a big, big, big game on Monday night for Dolphins fans and the, the, the league in general. Eagles over the Chiefs, uh, which would be really nice for that one seed pursuit to get back in place. So those are the Week 11 picks. That is the Thursday podcast. We'll come back tomorrow and have the great Trent Green with us here. We'll also do some uh, audio for you guys from, I think, Coach McDaniel. We'll have Kyle Krabs in the podcast as well. Some fun stuff on tomorrow's show. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Winkle NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with my guy Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy. Daddy.